0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 152 of the GDPR Weekly Show and coming up in this week's episode we have news of a ransomware attack at Tayser. we then in this week, which is very important for football here in the UK have news of a data breach at Classic Football Shirts. We then have news that British Airways has reached an out-of-court settlement with its data breach victims. We then have an update on whether employers can hold top 19 vaccination data and how they should be storing such data. We then travel to Yorkshire, where the Mermaids transgender charity has been fined £25,000 by the ICO for data breaches. We then travel to Spain, where the king of Spain has found that his personal health information has been revealed in a data breach. We then travel to South Africa, where insurance company Tueshaw has had a data breach. And then to America, where Morgan Stanley has had yet another data breach. We then return to the UK, where PC Magazine has created a chart of the top 25 data breaches measured in terms of the number of people affected. We then travel to Germany, where the German data protection regulator has urged the shutdown of German government Facebook pages and also is investigating the German government agency's involvement in Instagram and Clubhouse pages. We then travel across to America, where Colorado is the latest state to introduce its own privacy act, the Colorado Privacy Act. And then remaining in America, we actually look at whether, at last, the USA might be looking at bringing in a federal data law. And finally, we return to Ireland where we look at the thorny issue of whether GDPR applies to deceased people. So, as always, a mixed bag of articles for you this week here on the GDPR Weekly Show. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive and wherever possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: We begin this week with a story which was breaking as we went to broadcast last week. Hackers infiltrated a Florida-based information technology firm and deployed a ransomware attack seizing loads of data and demanding $70 million in payment for its return. The hack of Chiesa, which has already been called the biggest ransomware attack on record, has affected hundreds of businesses globally, including supermarkets in Sweden and stalls in New Zealand. In the aftermath of the attack, cybersecurity teams are scrambling to regain control of stolen data, while the Biden administration is modelling potential diplomatic responses. So what exactly happened? Well, hackers infiltrated Chiesa, Accessed its customers' data and demanded ransom for the data's return. What, however, makes this case slightly different is that Traeza is known as a managed service provider. That means its systems are used by companies too small or modestly resourced to have their own technical departments. Traeza regularly pushes out updates to its customers meant to ensure the security of their systems, but in this case, those safety features were subverted to push out malicious software to customer systems. Traeza has said that between 800 and 1,500 businesses were affected by the attack, although independent researchers have put the figure closer to 2,000. There are at least 145 victims in the US, according to an outside analysis from Sophos Labs, including local and state governments and agencies, as well as small and medium-sized businesses. Joe Biden said on Tuesday that while a number of smaller US businesses like dentist offices or accountants might have felt the effects of the hack, not many domestic companies have been affected. It appears to have caused minimal damage to the US business, but we're still gathering information, Biden told reporters following a briefing from advisers. I feel good about our ability to be able to respond. In Sweden, hundreds of supermarkets had to close when their cash registers were rendered inoperable, and in New Zealand, many stores and kindergartens were knocked offline. It's believed that affiliates of the Russian hacker group Revel are behind the attack. Revel was the same group who, in June, unleashed a major ransomware attack on the meat producer, JBS, crippling the company in its supply until it paid an $11 million ransom. Revel has quickly become a huge operation offering ransomware as a service, meaning it leases out its ability to extort companies to other criminals and keeps a percentage of the payment. Its business operates at scale, offering customer service hotlines to allow its victims to pay ransoms more easily. Chiesa's chief executive officer, Fred Fratola, told Reuters he could not confirm whether Chiesa would pay the £17 million ransom or negotiate with the hackers for a lower fee. No comment on anything to do with negotiating with these terrorists in any way, he said. Of course, not linked with this, but happening at the same time, was that the US fuel transporter Colonial Pipeline also had its systems hacked, which we brought to you in the GDPR Weekly Show, episode 144. As the attacks escalate, the Biden administration has discussed its domestic and international responses. The White House Press Secretary, Jen Psaki, said in a press conference on Tuesday that Biden would meet with officials from the Departments of Justice, State and Homeland Security and the intelligence community on Wednesday to discuss ransomware and US efforts to counter it. She also said that senior US officials would meet their Russian counterparts next week to discuss the ransomware problem. As the President made clear to President Putin when they met, If the Russian government cannot or will not take action in its criminal actors in Russia, we will take action or reserve the right, she said. Obviously, this is an ongoing situation, so if we receive any updates on this, we'll bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Of course, there's lots of excitement here in the UK this week, as England look forward to playing Italy in the final of the Euros 2020 at Wembley on Sunday at 8pm UK time. And of course, here at the g Show, we wish the England team every success, and as they say, let's hope they're bringing football home. However, football's also in the news for a different reason, because a firm selling retro football team shirts and merchandise here in the UK has apologised to customers after a cyber security attack accessed their data. Classic Football Shirts said customers' details have been accessed through one of its third-party provider systems. Some customers complained that they had received emails offering cashback on their previous orders. The firm is now telling customers not to follow any links if they've received a the cashback phishing email. Classic Football Shirt said it pretended to wear the cashback emails at 8.30 on Thursday night, half an hour after they'd been sent. The firm believes password data and payment information has not been compromised. But in a Twitter post, the company urged customers to be vigilant and contact their bank to cancel their cards if they supplied their cards information on one of the cashback forms. The closed business said payment information was never stored on their system and apologised for any inconvenience caused. Some customers commented that they became aware it was a phishing email after noticing an extra S in the email address of classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Others, after placing an order, had noticed the email offering cashback was from orders at classicfootballshirts.co.uk rather than from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. One customer told the BBC that he saw that £504 was taken from his account. He cancelled the credit card and his bank is investigating the transaction. Classic Football Shirts has declined to indicate an estimate of how many customers may have been affected, but they have confirmed that they've notified the ICO of the breach. And if we receive any update either from Classic Football Shirts or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Listen to it everywhere. Take us with you.
1: If you're a regular listener to the GDPR weekly show, then you'll know that we've mentioned a number of times about the data breach at British Airways. Indeed, we first reported on it way back in episode 5, and then subsequently in episodes 6, 12, 32, 49, 60, 82, 103, 113 and 130. this week, the British Airways data breach saga took a further step forward as it's understood that the airline has now agreed to an out-of-court settlement with the victims of the data breach that exposed personal data belonging to more than 420,000 customers. Under the agreement with PGMBM, the court-appointed law firm uh, representing the victims, the airline will pay thousands of claimants an undisclosed sum. The resolution does not include any admission of liability on the part of the operator. This represents an extremely positive and timely solution for those affected by the data incident, said PTMBM chairman Harris Pogas in a statement. The pace at which we have been able to resolve this process with British Airways has been particularly encouraging and demonstrates how seriously the legal system is taking mass data incidents, he said. In reply, British Airways said, We apologise to customers who may have been affected by this issue and are pleased we have been able to settle the group action. When the issue arose, we acted promptly to protect and inform our customers. The case centres on a mage-chart-style hack of BA's payment processing infrastructure that in 2018 diverted unsuspecting victims to a malicious website where names, debit and credit card details, postal addresses and email addresses were harvested over a 15-day period. PGMBM is now inviting victims of an even bigger breach from another UK airline to submit compensation claims. The firm has criticised operator EasyJet for taking four months to notify the 9 million victims of a data breach first revealed in May 2020 involving full names, email addresses and travel information. If you want further information on the EasyJet data breaches please check back to episodes 92 and 93 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Another issue that we've covered regularly on the GDPR Show has been the whole issue of whether employers can keep a record of whether their employees have received a vaccination or not. I think it's important that we remind people that employers processing vaccination data need to be careful. A, because it falls into what's called the special category of data, and B, they must make sure they've got a lawful basis to do so under Article 6, Paragraph 1 of UK GDPR. And it was as well as meeting one of the conditions of processing under Article nine. It's also important that you update any relevant privacy policy notices. So if you have a privacy policy notice for your employees, which you should have anyway, of course, and you are now holding this data about them, then you need to make sure you update your privacy policy for your employees to ensure that it's including the use of the COVID vaccination data. Whether you, as an employer, will have a legal basis for processing this respect data will depend on the context of your employees' work, the relevant industry you're in, and other factors such as the interaction with your workforce with others as well as clients and third parties. If you're unsure of whether you do fall into this category or not, then please do contact us using the contact details that are coming up at the end of this article. To show what can happen when things go wrong, there is a current case in Ireland where... An employee law expert has been warned that the HSE, which is the Irish equivalent to our National Health Service, breached data protection laws when it issued communications through a circular to determine the vaccination status of staff. Richard Roden told RTE Radio's Morning Ireland that a circular had been sent asking staff if they'd been vaccinated and if they did not want to reply, they didn't have to do so. All good in that. Nothing wrong with that at all. However, he knew of one hospital where 30 staff who had not indicated their vaccination status had subsequently been telephoned by the hospital's director of nursing. Now, this, of course, is a breach of GDPR because he did not have a valid reason for making those calls, nor really should he have had access to the data. Now, we're not going to comment further on that case because it's ongoing, but it does just highlight perhaps the dangers that you can find yourself in if you collect vaccination data or use that vaccination data wrongly. And so, as we said earlier, if you have any doubts about that, when you should be using the data or when you shouldn't, when you should collect it or when you shouldn't, then do contact us using the contact details that are coming up right now.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com
1: To Yorkshire now, and children's transgender charity Mermaids has been fined by the ICO over a sensitive data leak. Around 780 pages of confidential emails were exposed online for nearly three years leaving personal information such as names and email addresses of 550 people searchable online an investigation by the ICO found. Personal data of 24 individuals considered particularly sensitive revealed how they were coping and feeling, with 15 classified as special category data disclosing information about mental health, physical health and sexual orientation. Four related to children under 13 and under at the time it was discovered in June 2019. Mermaid has apologised again for the isolated lapse in its data security. The safety and security of our service users is paramount and we fully accept that an honest but significant mistake was made a number of years ago and we are determined to ensure that Mermaids continues to fulfil its obligations regarding safe data management with the utmost diligence, said Belinda Bell, Mermaids Chair of Trustees. The ICO has fined Mermaids £25,000, taking into consideration its full cooperation during the investigation and the significant improvements that have been made since the incident came to light. An investigation was launched by the regulator after the charity reported itself about an internal email group set up by its chief executive, Susie Green, who had used a third-party platform with insufficient security settings switched on, resulting in email exchanges being made public. The Data Protection Watchdog was notified about the breach as soon as Mermaids became in June 2019, years after the charity had stopped using this service between August 2016 and July 2017. At the time, the ICO found the charity had an negligence approach towards state protection with inadequate policies and a lack of training for staff. The very nature of Mermaid's work should have compelled the charity to impose stringent safeguards to protect the often vulnerable people it works with, said Steve Eckersley, Director of Investigations at the ICO. Its failure to do so subjected the very people it was trying to help to potential damage and distress and possible prejudice, harassment or abuse. As an established charity, Mermaids should have known the importance of keeping personal data secure, and whilst we acknowledge the important work that charities undertake, they cannot be exempt from the law. In a statement, Chair of Trustees Belinda Bell said, We take full responsibility for this data breach and thank our supporters for their solidarity and understanding at a difficult time. We are grateful to the ICO for taking into account our prompt remedial action and for balancing the size of its fine against our need to continue supporting service users whilst protecting charitable donations made by many generous supporters. The safety and security of our services is paramount, and we fully accept that an honest but significant mistake was made a number of years ago, and we are determined to ensure that Mermaids continues to fulfil its obligations regarding safe data management with the utmost diligence. This historical data breach was brought to our attention in June 2019, at which point we immediately reported the incident to the ICO and cooperated fully to ensure issues regarding our systems and processes were addressed as a matter of the highest importance. The Charity Commission, in communication with the ICO, has stated that it has no further regulatory concerns. The charity engaged an external data consultant to address issues raised and their report confirms that no wider issues were identified. The charity also instructed an Information Technology Security Auditor to carry out a real incident. In addition, a full safeguarding audit has been completed this year. All complaints from the data subject are suspected have now been resolved and we would like to repeat our apology for this isolated lapse in our data security.
0: Wants to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: To Spain now, and Tele Madrid has reported that the King of Spain has had his personal health information exposed in the latest data breach. The Royal was among thousands affected by the computer security failure of the Madrid House system. The breach has meant that people's private data, such as telephone number, social security number and address, could be accessed by having just their ID number, TeleMadrid, reported. We've reached out to the Madrid House service for more information, but as we go to broadcast, we've not received any response from them. If we do receive a response from the Madrid House system, we will of course it to you in the next available search of the GDPR Weekly Show. <coughs> to South Africa now and Tueshaw, a big player in South Africa's insurance industry, has been hit by a data breach in which bank account numbers and other sensitive information have been compromised by a third party. Tueshaw would not say how many records were exposed with the breach only that the incident was still being investigated. In a statement, the company said on the 9th of June 2021 Tueshaw became aware that it had been subject to the illegal and unauthorised access to its IT infrastructure and immediately isolated its IT network and shut down its systems. QShaw is a registered financial services provider and one of the selection agencies that provides selection and premium handling services for the South Africa insurance industry. Its clients include big insurance companies and insurance brokers. QShaw's chief operating officer, Ian De Detroit, said QShaw immediately appointed three industry leading independent cyber forensic and security technology firms to conduct a detailed forensic investigation into the cyber security incident. Q-Shore takes the safety and security of its clients' data extremely seriously. The company has notified insurers and brokers with whom it does business, as well as the relevant regulatory authorities, and continues to provide support. Preliminary investigations show that the compromised data had been exfiltrated from the company's servers. The data relates only to policyholders who are clients of QShore's customers and includes banking details limited to account holder name, bank account numbers, and branch bank codes. No policyholder identity numbers, credit card details or any form of contact details or policy content are kept on Qshore's database and therefore could not have been compromised. All brokers have been briefed and have been turned notified or in the process of notifying their policyholders. He said Qshore's IT platform has now been completely rebuilt and all necessary steps have been taken to ensure the environment is secure. If we receive any update on this from Qshore, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another company which has featured fairly readily here on the GDPR Weekly Show has been Morgan Stanley. Indeed, they featured in episodes 99, 102, 107 and 112, and they're featuring again this week. On July the 8th, Reuters reported that Morgan Stanley has disclosed that personal data of some of its corporate clients was stolen in January this year in a data breach that involved a third-party vendor and hackers accessed information, including social security numbers. Files stolen also included clients' names, addresses, date of birth and corporate company names. The bank's vendor, Guidehouse, which provides account maintenance services to its stock plan Connect business, informed it about the breach in May, Morgan Stanley said. The bank said attackers accessed information by exploiting the vulnerability in the vendor's server, a study on FTA. While the exposure was patched within five days, the attackers obtained decryption keys, even though the files were encrypted. Guidehouse informed the bank that they found no evidence that the stolen data had been distributed online. It's understood that the vendor has engaged credit firm Experian to offer free credit monitoring services for 24 months for clients that may have been impacted by the breach. The protection of client data is the utmost importance and something we take very seriously. We are in close contact with Guidehouse and are taking steps to mitigate potential risks to clients. A spokesperson for Morgan Stanley said. I don't know if we receive any update on this from Morgan Stanley. We will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: PC Magazine has established a chart of the top data breaches from the last 18 years, sorted by the number of people affected by the data breach. And so the range goes from 24,600,000 for Sony Online Entertainment who find themselves in 25th place to Facebook with some 2.7 billion users affected from two instances which placed them in both 1st place and 3rd place in the chart. So the top 10 begin with eBay in 2014 with 145 million users affected. Ninth place is MyFitnessPal in 2018 with 150 million affected. Eighth place goes to MySpace in 2016 with 164 million affected. Seventh place to Microsoft in 2020 with 250 million affected. Sixth place to Twitter in 2018 with 330 million affected. Fifth place to cosmetics company Estee Lauder in 2020 with 440 million affected fourth place to Yahoo with half a billion affected. As we previously mentioned, Facebook finds itself in third place and first place, in a total of 2.7 billion affected. And squeezed between them is Yahoo again with 1 billion people affected. If you want to see the full chart, it's available on the PC Magazine website, which you can find at uk.pcmag.com. Another company that often gets mentioned, of course, here on the G-Publicly Show is Facebook. And this week there are indications that Germany's Federal Information Commission has finally run out of patience with Facebook. Last month, Ulrich Kauber wrote to government agencies in Germany strongly recommending them to close down their official Facebook pages because of ongoing data protection compliance problems and Facebook's failure to fix the issue. In the letter, Kauber warns the government bodies that intends to start taking enforcement action from January 2022, essentially giving them a deadline of the end of this year to pull their pages from Facebook. So expect not to see official Facebook pages of German government bodies in the coming months. While Kauber's own agency, the BFDI, does not appear to have a Facebook page, plenty of other German federal bodies do, such as the Ministry of Health, whose public page has more than 760,000 followers. Calber says the only way he would advise his stand is if Facebook makes substantial changes to how its platform operates than it has offered so far, allowing the pages to be run in Germany in a way that complies with GDPR. However, Facebook has a long history of ignoring privacy expectations and data protection law. It has also very recently shown itself more than willing to reduce the quality of information available to users if doing so furthers its business interests, as anyone in Australia can attest. Calber says he's avoided taking action over the Ministry's Facebook pages until now on account of public bodies arguing their Facebook pages are an important way for them to reach German citizens. However, as that points out, the government bodies must be role models in matters of legal compliance and therefore have a particular duty to comply with GDPR. A ruling by Europe's top court back in June 2018 is especially relevant here as it held that the administrator of a fan page on Facebook is jointly responsible with Facebook for the processing of the data of visitors to their page. This means the operators of such pages also face data protection compliance obligations and cannot simply assume that Facebook's terms and conditions provide them with legal cover for the data processing which Facebook undertakes. In a nutshell, the problem is that Facebook does not provide the operators of Facebook pages with enough information or assurances about how it processes users' data, meaning they are unable to comply with GDPR principles of accountability and transparency. It may not only be Facebook affected by this ruling – As Talbot's letter flags an ongoing audit of Instagram, TikTok, and Clubhouse, warning of deficits in the level of data protection those platforms offer. Too, he goes on to recommend that agencies avoid using these three apps on their business devices. We will keep a careful eye on this situation, and if we have any further updates or indeed any response from Facebook itself, we would bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Witchy Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now, and specifically to Colorado, where on June 8th this year, Colorado passed SB 2119, known as the Colorado Privacy Act, the CPA or CO Act, which the Governor signed into law on July the 7th, 2021. The CO Act is a mishmash of concepts from other jurisdictions. It's a large part modelled on the March 2021 Virginia Consumer Data Protection Act, the CDPA, which we brought you details of back in episode 134 of the GDPR Weekly Show, but with California influences, such as a broader definition of sale and requiring companies to look for and honour global privacy signals. Both the California Consumer Privacy Regime and even more so the CDPA, the Virginia Consumer Data Protection Act, were inspired by GDPR. Colorado lawmakers found that states across the United States are looking to this law and similar models to enact state-based data privacy requirements and to exercise the leadership that is lacking at the national level. And by enacting this law, Colorado will be among the states that empower consumers to protect their privacy and require companies to be responsible custodians of data that they continue to innovate. One notable thing with the Colorado Act is that it gives consumers the right to appeal... A controller's refusal of a request before the entity that denied it and requires businesses to set up a process to address those appeals. Upon an appeal, a controller must, within 45 days, extendable by another 60, inform the consumer in writing of its response to the appeal, including a written explanation for the reasons of the decision. If the controller denies the appeal, it must inform Colorado residents of the ability to bring complaints to the attention of the Colorado Attorney General.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: We've just mentioned about the Colorado Privacy Act. and Of course, one thing which is perhaps strange to people outside of the US is that there is no action from the US at a federal level. All the rules relating to data are being put together state by state. Well, US Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York is attempting to rectify that by introducing the Data Protection Act of 2021. If passed, the bill would create the Data Protection Agency. The purpose of the agency would be to protect individuals' privacy, limit the collecting, processing, and sharing of personal data, and reduce discrimination and differential treatment on the basis of protected class. As proposed, the Data Protection Agency will be responsible for regulating high-risk data practices and selection, processing, and sharing of personal data. The agency will also be responsible for promoting equal opportunity and non-discriminatory processing of personal information. Sounds very much like the ICO or other data regulators here in the EU, we think. However, it's not as clear-cut as you might first think because the Act is not intended to apply to everyone. The Act is intended to apply only to data aggregators data aggregators collect, use and share large amounts of personal data. Under the bill, aggregators must have an annual gross revenue in excess of $25 million or annually collect, use and share the personal data of 50,000 or more individuals, households or devices. If the Act passes into law, then data aggregators will, by statute, have to comply with the rules and orders established by the Data Protection Agency, and they will also be prohibited from trying to identify an individual from anonymised data. The agency will have investigatory powers and may pursue individuals or data aggregators who they believe have violated the law. The investigation will be performed by an attorney or an investigator employed by the agency. The investigator will determine whether the aggregator or individual engaged in conduct that violated the law and may levy fines if any violations are found. By the fines will either fund the Victims Relief Fund, or if individual victims can be identified, they can be compensated individually. We will keep an eye on how this Act progresses through the US legal system and bring you updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. And finally this week we return to Ireland where the issue of whether the dead have any rights under GDPR has come to the fore. The Department of Children is alleged to be failing to apply GDPR correctly as mother and baby home survivors attempt to access personal information. In one instance, the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth refused to share information with a woman because it related to a person who is deceased. Now, the whole issue here, of course, is that GDPR only applies to living people. The moment you die, as it's written in a moment, GDPR ceases to apply to you. And therefore, someone can't refuse to release the information of a dead person reliant on GDPR. This is all clarified in under Article 15 of GDPR. A spokesperson for the department said it is not in a position to comment publicly on access requests made by individuals. Individual requesters can, of course, revert to the department directly to seek further information on the response they received. They can also make a complaint to the Data Protection Commissioner, DPC. In general, the department seeks to provide some clarification regarding what data to be released. The spokesman noted that Article 15 of GDPR provides a data subjects have the right to obtain data when data control confirmation as to whether or not personal data concerning him or her is being processed, and where that is the case, access to the personal data. They said the department is responding to subject access requests in full accordance with GDPR. Members of the public sometimes request data belonging to deceased family members. Where this is mixed personal data and that it refers to both the requester and the deceased person, the department can release the data. When the data is not mixed personal data and belongs solely to a deceased person, The Department will not be able to release it under GDPR and the requester may be advised to use Freedom of Information Act instead. Now, we would support the argument that we believe the Department is wrong in this case. They should be releasing the information of the dead people, of course, providing that the person making the request can prove a link to the dead person. Doubtless this will go to appeal and may even end up in front of the European Data Protection Board, so... Once again, it's a story we'll follow and bring you updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production.
0: Until next time, bye-bye.